Alternative Radio. You're listening to CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. What's happened with Trump is he's engaged in so many criminal acts, so many civil violations, so many constitutional offenses, so many boorish, immoral, bigoted, misogynistic statements that he's produced cognitive dissonance among his opponents. He silenced them by the sheer volume daily of his derelictions. What would the founding fathers have thought? They would have impeached Trump in so many ways they'd lose count. That's Ralph Nader, and this is Alternative Radio. I'm David Barsamian. This edition of AR features Ralph Nader on Trump, the pandemic, and the election. Remember the popular TV series, The X-Files? FBI special agents Fox Mulder and Dana Scully doggedly investigate unexplained, mind-bending cases known as X-Files. The show's signature line was, the truth is out there. We probably need Mulder and Scully back on the job, examining recent comments from the current president about thugs wearing black uniforms boarding planes. They are people controlling the streets, people that you've never heard of, people who are, the president said, in the dark shadows. Whoa, dark shadows. What's going on here? Seems like something out of the discredited QAnon or InfoWars conspiracy websites has somehow gotten into the president's head. The deep state is behind all his woes. Maybe the famous FDR line, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, should be amended to, the only thing we have to fear is everything. Our guest today is Ralph Nader. He's a legendary figure who spent a lifetime fighting on behalf of ordinary people. The Atlantic named him one of the hundred most influential figures in U.S. history. I talked with him in late August. He was at his home in Winstead, Connecticut. I began by asking him to explain his comment in his book, Fake President, where he says, For the first time in our history, the greatest danger to the United States is now the president of the United States. Well, we're, we're witnessing here a lawless uh, president who is different from other presidents. Nixon got into trouble by obstructing justice and his Watergate scandal, the burglary of the Democratic National Committee at the Watergate apartment complex in Washington, D.C. by his associates. Uh, but that was a one-time thing. Uh, he, he didn't keep having Watergate scandals. With Trump, uh, Trump is a serial uh, impeachable offense president. Uh, as we speak, he is committing impeachable offenses. He is defying congressional subpoenas, over a 100 of them. Uh, Nixon was impeached because he defied one congressional subpoena and one obstruction of justice, two counts. Well, at, there are at least 10 obstruction of justice documented just in the Mueller report. And he operates daily to obstruct justice's way of operation. 
dealing with the Justice Department, district attorneys, judges, and his impeachable offenses, 12 of them, uh, that we put together, we, uh, Bruce Fine, uh, Lou Fisher, and myself, that Congressman Larson introduced in the congressional record in December 18th, 2019, and they're on uh, our website, nader.org. And one is spending money not authorized by Congress, for example, diverting money to build the wall on the Mexican border. That's an impeachable offense. That's taking the power of the purse that James Madison thought was essential to be exclusively controlled by the Congress. And, of course, the defying of subpoenas and formal requests for testimony. He thumbs his nose at, at Congress and tells his subordinates not to obey them. And then, of course, there is uh, the, the determination to waive for six months the payroll tax. That's the power to tax. He doesn't have that authority. It's, it's unconstitutional. And then there is uh, the emoluments clause, using the office to enrich himself with his nearby Trump Hotel and other commercial interests which he owns and which foreign governments and, uh, and enterprises are patronizing in order to curry favor with him. There is the abuse of public trust, which... Alexander Hamilton thought was an impeachable offense. Well, serial lying, over 20,000 lies and f misleading statements compiled by the Washington Post. If a president doesn't stand for truth, he doesn't stand for trust. How can you trust somebody who lies by the hour, who tweets the lies, the false statements, the hoax promises, etc.? There'll only be 10 to 15 cor coronavirus cases, he says earlier this year, when he, of course, knew better, and his scientific advisors knew better. He violates the treaty clause. He announces unilaterally that we're going to pull out of treaties, like arms treaties with the Russians. Congress has a role here. The Senate confirms the treaties, and if they're going to pull out of treaties, the Senate has to be involved. He's involved in nine illegal wars in countries in Asia and Africa. No declaration of war by Congress there, an impeachable offense. And one of his worst daily impeachable offenses is he has done just the opposite of, quote, faithfully executing the laws of the land, end quote. Um, he has shredded the pollution control laws, the children protection laws, the consumer protection laws. Laws designed to save lives, prevent injuries, prevent diseases, and protect the economic assets of the American people. He shut down the Consumer Protection uh, Bureau that was supposed to challenge Wall Street in ripoffs. He's, in fact, shut it down. It's still operating, but it, it hardly enforces the law. He has weakened the Food and Drug Act. How about this one, David? Earlier this year... Uh, he had the Food and Drug Administration announce that they were no longer going to enforce inspections of foreign facilities in China and Europe exporting products to the U.S. known to have been defective, like we're relying on China for most of our pharmaceuticals, China and India. And the FDA once in a while would go over there and inspect the labs. And they basically said, 
we're not going to do it anymore because of the coronavirus. I mean, it's like telling these exporters they can export food, tires, uh, other consumer products, pharmaceuticals with abandon. And the Customs Bureau and the FDA inspectors are, are not going to be on the job. I mean, this is criminal behavior uh, as well as unconstitutional behavior. So he has uh, weakened the protections of the, of the public lands. Uh, right across the board, he's put his henchmen in, either supporters or became supporters of the president. You can add the post office to that as well. There's another one. Uh, the post office is in the Constitution, and there are federal statutes that require the post office to provide services that are now being delayed, interrupted, undermined by Mr. Trump and his major donor, a.k.a. Postmaster General uh, DeJoy, who's been up before Congress, he should be impeached. We have to normalize impeachment. This idea of ignoring our founding fathers who realized that there were times when the executive would behave in such a manner that you couldn't go through four years of judicial uh, challenge that the Congress had to do it. And the Congress's only tool between elections is the impeachment. And in fact, saying to the president or secretary of state or uh, other high officials, uh, you're fired. Impeaching the House, convict in the Senate. And uh, Postmaster General DeJoy should be impeached because the motive for all this is to make it difficult to do mail-in ballots, make people think that they won't get delivered, or they won't get delivered in time because the sorting machines have been taken away. Uh, the staff is inadequate in numbers and other ways that they're trying to wreck the post office so people get so upset with it that they tolerate uh, selling it off to private corporations. By the way, the post office comes in with the highest support among the American people of any agency in government, 91% support the post office. So these are just some of the impeachable offenses, and some of them also uh, involve statutory criminal violations. For example, if Trump shifts around money from FEMA funds to paying people so much per week without congressional authorization, that is not only uh, a unconstitutional seizure of the congressional power of the purse, it also violates a criminal statute uh, known as the Anti-Deficiency Act, which has a major jail term involved for violators. So we have a lawless criminal enterprise in the White House, and instead of the House of Democrat Democrats having a whole range of impeachable offenses portrayed on national television when they consider it, throwing it over to Mitch McConnell and having him try to defend these abuses of public trust to lying by the hour and other such measures as bigotry. Let McConnell defend those on national TV. No, Nancy Pelosi went with the Ukraine issue, which is important, but it's not exactly a kitchen table issue for the American people. They don't really have a stake in the Ukraine. And no matter how many people, including me, who, who besieged her, uh, to pick up on these. I mean, the defiance of congressional subpoenas, an airtight case, 
she wouldn't pick any of them up, and leading me to believe that she was interested in scoring an impeachment point and not really convicting them and throwing the Republicans into indefensible positions on national television on defending this serial constitutional violator and violator of criminal statutes. In the epilogue of the book, Fake President, you have a Dear Trump Voter section. What are some of the things you say to this Dear Trump Voter? Yeah, I say to the Trump voters, one, that you're not all the same. There's no value at all in stereotyping 40% of the voters, many of whom have great differences among themselves in background, occupation, political views, uh, because I want to have them have an open mind. And the second point uh, I made is that when you have a low expectation of your favorite nominee or candidate for president, you're going to be captured by that candidate. For example, if you let Trump know in 2016 that you're voting for him because anybody but Hillary, well, that, that's a pretty low expectation. I mean, you don't add other things you want Trump to do as president, wage peace, end empire, Debloat the military budget, apply it to rebuilding communities all over the country, the so-called infrastructure, the schools, the bridges, the public transit, the community health clinics, the libraries, on and on, drinking water systems. Uh, so I, I try to raise their expectation level, make them more demanding and therefore uh, more in a position of power vis-a-vis -vis a presidential candidate. The third thing in talking to Trump voters is to say, look, forget the generalities, you know, make America great again. We Politicians love abstract generalities. Go down to where you live, work, and raise your families and see how you have the same interests in having a president promote clean air, clean water, safe medicines, good schools good public services, etc., as any liberal family in your neighborhood. You have the same interests. You want the same things for your kids. So use what you want as yardsticks to measure whether Trump really is your candidate. And that's when you bring down the evaluation of candidates to where it really counts, where people live, work, and raise their families. It's a routine to hear that the country is polarized. Uh, in your view, is it? And if so, why? Well, for over 2,000 years, the tiny number of rulers have used divide and rule among the people that they subordinate and oppress as a way of controlling the society. So there's nothing new there. So what Trump has done, he's increased the divisions. It used to be, you know, 10, 20 years ago, uh, major differences were small in number, but big in perception and belief between liberals and conservatives, red states, blue states. You know, the reproductive rights was one, prayer in schools was another, police power was a third. Well, what Trump has done is he's expanded that number. He, he has hiked the immigration issue way beyond 
its proper perspective in, in American society and lathered it with bigotry and phony claims about what's going on at the border. And as a result, there are more divisions. But if you go down to where people live, work, and raise their families, uh, where liberals and conservatives are on the same page, they both would like a living wage. Conservative workers in Walmart are not going to say, yeah, uh, I like 10 bucks an hour, or a few years ago it was 8 bucks an hour, and I don't want more money because it's, it's not a conservative thing. Nonsense. When they have to reevaluate their state of livelihood, where they live, work, and raise their families, they're on the same page. They're on the same page with cracking down on Wall Street, breaking up the big banks. They're even on the same page in uh, changing the tax system, which favors the rich and uh, the multinational corporations. Uh, more and more, they're on the same page of full health insurance, full Medicare for all, free choice of doctor and hospital, much more efficient, much more life-saving, and replaces the anxiety, dread, and fear that so many millions of Americans incur in the present profiteering health system, which was well documented in the latest book by Dr. John Gaiman, practicing physician for years and professor of medicine at the University of Washington. We're suffering from analysis paralysis. We have great diagnosis of our injustices, uh, although many are left out still. We have uh, great denunciations, factually based, of the perpetrators of these injustices, the Wall Streeters, their government toadies, corrupt politicians, rip-off artists, you name it. But we don't go to the next stage so very often, which is, what do we do about it? And anybody who writes a book that doesn't end with answering, what are you going to do about it? What do I think the author, what do I think people should do about it? And where? And when? And how? Which gets me to Congress and state legislatures. You want to have universal health care? How'd they get it in, in Canada and elsewhere? Parliaments, meaning our Congress, state legislatures. You want to have a living wage? Congress. The minimum wage now is ridiculous. It's a poverty enhancement wage, $7.25 an hour. Federal minimum wage, some of the states are higher. Some cities are higher. You want to have law enforcement that goes after the rich and powerful? Congress, state legislatures. They can build the budgets, the prosecutorial investigatory budgets under the president and the governor. You want to have a series of public budgets? Those are your tax revenues that go back home to rebuild and repair public services. I just mentioned Congress, state legislatures. So why in the world don't more people, just 1% or less, that's all it takes. If you had 2.5 million people, that's 1% of the adults, organized in congressional districts, 435 of them, and funding a couple offices with four full-time people in every congressional district, and pledging, say, what they pledge for a hobby, like playing bridge or collecting stamps or coins, say... Um, couple hundred hours, three, four hundred hours a year, volunteer time with the full-time staff. 
And the single goal of this Congress watchdog group in every congressional district is to turn Congress around on all these issues. So they're focusing on two senators and one representative, every congressional district. Presto. As long as they reflect public opinion, and there's a lot of public opinion on these issues that unite conservatives and liberals, which I just mentioned, as long as they know what they're talking about, as long as they summon the senators and representatives to their own town meetings back home where the citizens prepare the agenda and the senators and representatives answer the questions as to what the citizens want them to do, the probability is almost 100% that they can overwhelm any corporate lobbying force in Congress or in the state legislature. 1% or less. The future of this country is in the hands of ordinary people, everyday people, because the Constitution gives them the ultimate fundamental sovereign power. The Constitution starts with we the people, not we the Congress, not we the state legislature, not we the judges, and certainly not we the big corporations. So it's a big asset for people to start with the Constitution on their side, I might say. Rashida Tlaib of Democrat of Michigan on the floor of the House um, in late August said, this administration is waging an authoritarian campaign to sabotage this election by manipulating the Postal Service to suppress our vote. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is fascism. What do you think about that term uh, fascism in describing the current regime in Washington? I know Noam Chomsky is very reluctant to apply that term. What do you think? It's very applicable. And Noam Chomsky can go back to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. In 1938, President Roosevelt sent an official message to the Congress asking to establish a temporary national economic commission, the TNEC, to investigate concentrated corporate power, 1938. And in that message, he said, and I paraphrase closely, that any time private power controls government, that's fascism. So the, the, the private power he was talking about was corporate power, the big corporations, the Wall Street corporations, uh, the big banks, the insurance companies, the oil companies. And that's the definition that Mussolini actually uh, articulated in his Ph.D. thesis uh, in Italy. That is the merger of concentrated economic power with government power, creating the corporate state, Wall Street merging with Washington, so that the government guarantees concentrated capitalist power with handout subsidies, giveaways, bailouts, which is what we've been seeing over the years in Washington. Wall Street crashes the economy. The executives don't get prosecuted. They jump ship with huge severance compensation packages. And then their lawyers go to Washington and work out a taxpayer bill on the backs of small taxpayers. And that's the routine, you see. So it is technically 
fascism American style. Fascism means the corporate state. So there's nothing irregular. We should not abandon the technical definition of fascism because Mussolini and Hitler created a horror out of it. It's operating in many countries around the world. How concerned should people be about the upcoming election and the integrity of the vote? I, I don't. I suspect people comment to you, and they certainly have mentioned this to me. They're worried about will would Trump accept the result of the election if he loses? Well, the answer is no, unless he loses in such a landslide that he becomes a laughing stock. Such as, for example, if all he gets is uh, 90 uh, electoral votes out of the needed 270. There are so many opportunities to steal the election, and the Electoral College reduces it to seven or eight swing states. And the Democrats have now lost two presidential elections with all that entails in 16 years between 2000 and 2016. Gore got won the popular vote lost the electoral, stolen from in Florida in a variety of ways, and affirmed by a corrupt 5-4 uh, decision uh, led by uh, Eugene Scalia in the Supreme Court. And Hillary won by almost 3 million votes and lost it to the Electoral College in four or so swing states, like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, uh, Ohio, so forth. So at what point? Should the Democratic Party go out after the Electoral College? They don't have to amend the Constitution. There's a national voter movement uh, to uh, get enough states to pass laws saying they'll throw the Electoral College vote to any presidential candidate who wins the national popular vote. And they're already up to 192 electoral votes because states like California, Illinois, Connecticut, Maryland, New York have already passed these bills, and the Democratic Party will not recognize that citizen-driven effort led by Steve Silberstein and a staff of seven people out of San Francisco won't support it. So the answer to your question is there are a lot of ways to steal the election. First, you purge the voters. You haven't voted in the last two elections. You're purged. What are you talking about? person can change apartments in the same apartment building and say, well, you had a wrong address. A person's signature at age 50 is not what it was at age 21 when they registered to vote. Oh, sorry, your mail ballot vote is disqualified. All kinds of ways they can steal the vote in states where the Republicans control the state election machinery. And that's Ohio, for example, Florida, for example. So, yes, he can steal and get away with it because there's no criminal prosecution here. You know, you violate a traffic ordinance and you can get into deep trouble with the law, but th th there's no criminal penalty for stealing votes, suppressing votes, stealing elections. There may be a criminal penalty on the books, but the only prosecution I've heard of was in North Carolina a number of months ago. Uh, so they do get away with it. It's just politics as usual. Uh, and he can steal the election. 
Now, the Republicans, some of them at least, have uh, been very bold in their statements about not wanting everyone to vote. Uh, You'll remember Paul Weyrich. He's one of the founders of the modern conservative movement. Uh, He co-founded think tanks like the Heritage Foundation, the American Legislative Exchange Council, ALEC. He said, I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginnings of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections, quite candidly, goes up as the voting populace goes down. That's a direct quote. And we have no less an authority than the 45th president on Fox and Friends in late March uh, saying that uh, if they allowed a vote-by-mail standard, if you ever agreed to it, he said, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again. A direct quote. Well, that's the conventional wisdom, is that the more people vote, the more the Democrats win. But there have been studies showing that two-thirds of non-voters, two-thirds are whites, and most of them are low-income whites. And one study said that if everybody voted, it would come out about the same as uh, half of the people voting. I'm just citing that. I'm not saying that's my perception. But that raises a larger issue. All the wrangling about voter suppression, voter obstruction, purging voters, discouraging voters, not delivering mail ballots. Do you think they have that problem in Australia? Australia, voting is a civic duty by law. So 96 to 97 percent of the people vote in federal elections. Politicians don't have to put ads on Australian television begging people to come out. They don't have to have telephone banks. It's amazing. There are seven, eight countries. I think Austria has uh, voting as a legal duty. And as long as you have a write-in option and a none-of-the-above option, David, takes care of the civil liberties. I know some civil liberties people say you can't force people to vote because they may not like who's on the ballot. Well, they can write in their own name. They can write in their their aunt's name. They can write in uh, any name and still uh, fulfill the duty of voting. Or they can vote for binding none of the above, which if it exceeds the votes of the other candidates, cancels that line, say for mayor, uh, and orders new elections. That's a very popular option when you explain it to people, because in America you can only vote yes when you go to vote. You cannot vote no confidence on all the candidates, and binding none of the above allows that. You're listening to Ralph Nader on Trump, the pandemic, and the election. This is Independent Alternative Radio. Stay tuned at the end to learn how you can get CDs, MP3s, PDFs of this program and Nader's book, Breaking Through Power. In 1933, FDR, in his inaugural address, uttered these famous words, The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Talk about fear in the present uh, context of the regime in in Washington and how language has been uh, weaponized. And there have been some suggestions that Democratic candidate Joseph Biden 
uh, is in an FDR moment, and will he rise to the occasion? Well, he will if the, say, progressives uh, populate more of themselves in the Congress, and it's a democratically controlled Congress. Uh, Delaware corporate Joe is not going to change his stripes up right away. I mean, at the Na- Democratic National Convention, he gave more time to Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton than he gave to the combined minutes accorded Bernie Sanders and AOC. And that tells you where Joe Biden stands. So it's going to have to be a Congress and huge pressure on Congress by these Congress Watch locals that I proposed that no one can stop people from forming. You can start them with 10 people, 20, 200. In my book, Breaking Through Power, it's easier than we think, and I give a lot of real-life examples in modern American history where great odds were overcome by a small number of people who knew what they were talking about, who focused on the Congress, and who represented public opinion. Those are the critical preconditions. So uh, mobilize people back home, demonstrations peaceful around congressional offices back home and in co- around Congress, focusing on your two members of the Senate and member of the House, summoning them back to your town meetings. That's very important because you can eyeball them. They, they can't surround themselves with flax or do telephone remote town meetings. And Joe will have no uh, no option to block the kind of country we want for our children and grandchildren and the kind of peace in the world. The left, is, so-called left, is not self-critical at all. They're too smug. They don't push their allies on Capitol Hill beyond what their allies are willing to be pushed. So if they don't want to have a hearing on corporate crime in the House, public citizen doesn't push. Uh, for a hearing on corporate crime by the House Judiciary Committee. There's a corporate crime wave in the country. Just read the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> if you don't want to believe it, anyone else, there are ripoffs, thefts, abuses of pollution control laws, toxic violence in the workplace, briberies, you name it. No hearings by the Democrats on the corporate crime wave. No hearings on corporate welfare. It's only hundreds of billions of dollars of your taxes, people, that go for subsidies, handouts, payoffs, giveaways. That's all. Uh, That could be put back in the Congress and in the White House. So cross your fingers. Make sure you vote. Make sure the post office is adequately funded. And make sure that $4 billion that the House passed to support the state's efforts in election security uh, is either adopted by the Senate or contributed by the four mega-billionaires, Zuckerberg, Bezos, Tim Cook of Apple, and Bill Gates. They could do it and not even feel it. And they could also deduct it. If you give governments money uh, as a contribution for public purpose, you can actually deduct it. Jeff Bezos has increased his wealth $47 billion in the last six months since the pandemic started because of the appreciation of Amazon stock. Now, I want to repeat that, $47 billion. So I've written a letter to Zuckerberg saying, get your buddies to throw a billion dollars each on the table 
and get it done. It will be a patriotic contribution for election security expenditures at the state level. Let's focus again on the pandemic and its impact on ordinary people. Tens of millions who are facing uh, eviction because of the collapsed uh, economy. One of the things you hear, why is the U.S., with all its medical and scientific prowess, leading the world in COVID-19 cases and deaths? Why is that happening? Because you have a quack in the White House and you have a spineless Congress who should have impeached him on many counts years ago. Uh, He is endangering the American people and the way he's bungling, mishandling, scoffing, ridiculing this uh, federal supposed response to the COVID-19, undermining the scientists, telling people how smart he is after ignoring it for weeks and scoffing at it. It's more than leading the world in casualties. The virus emanated from Wuhan province in China. And China, uh, first, the government tried to ignore it in late November and early December, and then went to work to suppress it. And China has lost 5,000 lives and four times the population of the U.S. And the U.S. has lost over 175,000 lives. 5,000 lives compared to 175,000 lives. Any given state in the U.S. has lost more than the entire country of China. Now, some people say China is undercounting. Or let's say they're undercounting. Let's say instead of 5,000, it's 20,000. But in the U.S., with one-fourth of the population, it's over 175,000 and counting. That's and that- why we call it Trump's virus. came from China, but his bungling, scoffing, ridiculing, delaying, undermining has led to this horrific epidemic, the collapse of the economy, evictions, tens of millions unemployed, children unattended to, schools in fear, dread, and anxiety, and on and on. And he's still in office? What's happened with Trump is he's engaged in so many criminal acts, so many civil violations, so many constitutional offenses, so many boorish, immoral, bigoted, misogynistic statements that he's produced cognitive dissonance among his opponents. He silenced them by the sheer volume daily of his derelictions. How's that for the psychologists of the USA to ponder? What would the founding fathers have thought? They would have impeached Trump in so many ways they'd lose count. They didn't want another monarch in the White House another lawless executive in the White House, another criminal war launcher in the White House, another no-fault president in the White House. That's why they gave so much authority to Congress, which Congress transfers to the White House, and not just under Trump. Congress is AWOL, a disgrace. Now, the murder of George Floyd in late May in Minneapolis uh, triggered widespread demonstrations, the likes of which commentators have observed, have never been seen uh, in the United States, even during the heyday of the late 60s and the Vietnam War civil rights movement protests. 
Why do you think Floyd's murder, and there have been so many, Eric Gardner in New York, Freddie Gray in Baltimore, the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and on and on. The list is well-known and publicized. Why this particular moment? Well, it's been going on all over the country. Uh, And in the video age, it's being videoed in live action. Obviously, this has been going on for centuries all over the country, but nobody's seen it. It's been done largely in the dark. And now it's videotaped. The George Floyd homicide, here's a man who was accused of trying to pass a phony $20 bill in a store. And the clerk called the cops. The cops came. Floyd was unarmed. And he was pinned down by a sadistic cop with the enablement of two or three others. And it was all on video. So it was sort of the catalyst that lit these mass demonstrations. And they're not just unprecedented in size and location. They were in small cities and towns, not just big cities, but they were multiracial. Your question is that the groundwork for that kind of eruption has been seeded again and again in city after city, and people were fed up. You know, if they weren't beaten up by lawless cops, they were stopped and frisked and challenged and and shaken up uh, so that's that's i think what happened and the pandemic of course is adversely uh, affecting latinx uh, african americans and particularly native americans as well and that latter group is kind of again borne the brunt of uh, horrendous uh, social policies Yeah, without a doubt. You know, we have the highest level of poverty in the Western world. It's not even close. Uh, Highest level of voter obstruction. uh, Highest level of candidate third-party obstruction from getting on the ballot. The most inequitable tax system. The most uh, budget-starved public services. I mean, Western Europe was destroyed in World War II. They got themselves up. They had stronger labor unions than we did. They had stronger giant consumer cooperatives than we did. They had a multi-party system. And look what they got for all their people. They got full health insurance. They got higher minimum wages or equivalent. They got better public services like inexpensive mass transit. They got better pensions. They got stronger unions. They got four weeks or more paid vacations. They got tuition-free higher education. They got better-kept parks and arts for everybody. And we don't have any of these for everybody. And we supposedly won World War II. It's because people in Western Europe wanted the taxes they paid returned to them in all these ways I've just mentioned and not siphoned off to gigantic military budgets like our military-industrial complex that President Eisenhower warned us about in his farewell address, or in massive corporate welfare tax breaks. And they, they demanded that the money and their taxes come back to all these services and support structures. They also provide maternal care for everybody, daycare for children for everybody, 
paid family leave for everybody. What's our excuse? We don't focus on Congress state legislatures. We're too busy text messaging, too busy holding the iPhone, too busy making excuses for ourselves, too uncritical of ourselves. All we need is 1%. 